Hello, boys and girls. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to episode 8 of G.I. Joe Work with some other guys and me, Cobra Commander. We will be discussing vehicles. Mostly. And a lot about me. Mostly. Hit it, guys. He's getting, he's getting better, isn't he, Rob? What? At his impersonation. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Although, I, I really like your snake eyes and business. <laughs> <laughs> what?! <laughs> I have nothing to add. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, presenting episode 8 of G.I. Joburg. In this episode, the three of us, Rob, Paul, and Steve, will give a rundown of our top five all-time Cobra vehicles. That's for sure. Five of the coolest Cobra vehicles we grew up with as kids, and um, some of the best Cobra vehicles we grew up with as big kids. Couldn't have put it better myself, Paul. It's an interesting split because a lot of these vehicles were vehicles that we encountered very early on in our collecting years as children, so there'll be a lot of nostalgia in this list. And then some of them are must-have items that we only acquired later as adults through the, the miracle of eBay. <laughs> so it's going to be an interesting mix of popular vehicles that are held by all, and off-the-wall vehicles that we have a personal affinity for. And hopefully, listeners, you'll find yourself agreeing with us on one or two or maybe all of our picks. So we're going to get the ball rolling with vehicles that we have in common shared between us in our list. The first one on that score is the Cobra Rage from 1990. Ah, the Cobra Rage. Such an awesome, awesome little vehicle. Um, I don't know if I'm going to start gushing or if you want to start gushing, guys. Well, since it is a vehicle that found its way onto Rob and your list, Paul, yeah, you need to duke it out with Rob here. Okay, well, I reckon Rob's had his a little longer than I've had mine, so Rob gets the honors. Go for it, dude. When, When did you get yours? Uh, I only got mine last year. Oh, okay, then I've had mine for how long? About five or six years. Yeah. It was also just one that I saw on Yojo, and I was like, that's a really cool vehicle, because it looks unique and different. And it looks like it has, like, a real, real real-world application to it. Yeah. You know, just something that you'd actually see rolling down the street and is ready to just blast G.I. Joe and anything else out of the way. I love that it's very well-equipped. Even though the cannon is a bit weird because the guy's feet are sitting right at the barrel, which I find a bit strange. But otherwise, and I love the little mechanism when the um, the cannon sits up. You push it up and there's that cool little, like, clicking sound. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That scares me a little. It scares us all. It scares us all. I mean, no, but it's supposed to do that. You can see there's a little thing where it actually it does it on purpose. Yeah, it's like, here comes the cover right near, near, clack. Oh, crap, the cannon's up, you know. <laughs> yeah, rather hair-raising, that clack. And it's present on the original and the reissues. Makes it feel like you've just snapped something. And I like that it's also, it's ready to go forward, you know, it's ready to face stuff in front with a sort of Gatling gun and the cannon and the missiles. But then it also has mine. For me, the first time I ever saw one, I think I was about 10 or 11, maybe younger. A friend of mine's cousin had it, and I always thought it was really, really awesome. And I, I remember at the time uh, wanting to try and buy it from him, and he had to get permission from his mom. And I never actually got it, obviously, then. But um, I got a chance to mess around with it a bit then. But he had already lost a lot of the missiles, and I think the, the turret was missing already. So I never really knew what was meant to go on there. 
until much later when I saw it in a catalog. It's been a, a vehicle that I've wanted for a very long time because I've actually messed around with it. And then, uh, yeah, when I got mine last year, which is the reissue, um, I can't even, I think they call it a Fury. They did a one, one for the POC line, which is like a weird kind of burgundy, dark burgundy and gray color scheme, which I really like compared to the original beige and uh, maroon sort of yeah. look. That's the one I have. It's a very, very cool vehicle. I, I think one of my favorite things to do with it, and one of the reasons it's on this list is uh, when, I got, when I got the vehicle, they packaged the, the new one with an Alley Viper. And he's really, really cool. I mean, like, wow, the Alley Viper. And immediately it started sparking, well, you know what, this should be the de facto Alley Viper vehicle. This should be the vehicle that gets Alley Vipers into combat and out of combat. Then it started a bit of a troop building fad because I ended up getting about five Alley Vipers. To, to put on that bad boy. Well, it makes perfect sense as an urban assault vehicle. It's got a very low profile. It sits lower than a Humvee, in fact, mm. uh, when, when you don't elevate the turret. And it is just bristling with weaponry. I mean, if you did divorce the main gun from it, it's still got a twin Gatling gun that has a full 360-degree range of motion. It's got four missiles. It's got a rocket pod. It's got a fixed forward Gatling gun, and a battering ram. Oh, and the mine dispenser. Yes. I mean, it's insane. This thing just, yeah, it, it blows my mind and, and probably blows a whole lot up. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, uh, also, to be fair, it's probably one of the, the best single-press molds. If you if you look at it, because it is a single press mold. Oh, it's not. It's got a bottom and a top half. Mine's mine's a single press mold. Eh? It's, yeah. uh, it's a little bit hollow on the inside. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the original is, is actually two halves. Oh, well, that sucks. Clips together. Oh, really? I can't imagine they've changed it. Paul, take another look at your fury, or whatever you want to call it. Oh, would you look at that? It isn't a single press. <laughs> Gee whiz, man! Sounded like idiots. Should you even be on this podcast? Jeez, Paul. Don't you, like, collect G.I. Joe dolls? Hey, hey, don't, don't diss my sideshow dolls. We'll, we'll devote a whole episode to how awesome they are one day. I can't wait to hear that one. <laughs> You'll only hear that one because neither you or I, Rob, will, will uh, share any views on that one. It's all you, Paul. It'll be the Paul show. <laughs> anyway, guys, I think uh, we can successfully put the Rage to rest. Totally. As being a very cool vehicle, but uh, one that only made it onto two of our top lists, that being you and Rob. Yeah. Hater. A vehicle that also made its way onto two of our lists, but not the third is the Cobra Bug. Yeah. Paul and I are both huge fans of the Cobra Bug. I think more or less for the same reason. We both had this vehicle in our possession as children. Totally. So, instant nostalgia points right there. Oh, yeah. Tell us your story, Paul. Okay. Um, I first saw the Cobra Bug in a CNA in Cresta. Um, for me, it's like the famous CNA because that's where I got a lot of my G.I. Joes from. Uh, my single carded figures, at least. And I saw it there one day uh, amongst the Dino Riders. It blew my mind. I mean, it was this really massive box. Uh, anybody out there who's got a bug, you know, you guys know how big the box is. And it just, as a kid, I mean, this thing was huge. I mean, it was probably like half of my size. Yeah, and then the nagging started. That was what I wanted. Like, And I knew the price. I think it was a whole 250 Rand or something at the time. I would nag my mother continuously, and both my folks knew about it. And one birthday, I got home from school, 
and there it was in the lounge. My dad had wrapped it up in newspaper, which he does. It's this kind of this thing that my dad and I have. He wraps my presents in newspaper. And ripped that newspaper off, and because I, I knew it was the bug. I mean, I instantly knew from the profile. And, yeah, I immediately got into assembling it, putting the stickers on and stuff. Now, at the time, my dad was a police officer. But he would have to go back to work. And what happened is he picked me up. Um, well, when we were done at the house, I took my Cobra bug with me uh, to the police station. And the police station in Ramburg is quite big. It's got a lot of hills and stuff. So I was bombing that bug down hills. There's a swimming pool. I was in the, the swimming pool with my bug. I had loaded as many Joes as I could into the thing. It is just such a cool vehicle, and it really stood the test of time with me. And, and no, in fact, it didn't. I still have parts of it, dude. <laughs> Come on, buddy. I've seen your bug remains. There's like one of those flatbeds that uh, topped off the engine nacelles. That's like all you've got left. <laughs> no, no. And I got one of the turret guns, and I actually found one of the jet skis like four days ago. And you actually purchased one on the bay, didn't you? Yes. Because I couldn't say no to it. It was one of the best specimens that I'd seen. Probably one of the cooler buyers that I've dealt with on eBay. I got it. It was intact. It was actually better than the photos. He insisted the condition and everything was cool and the price was pretty good. I can't remember. I think I got it. I think I got it for like $97 or something. Now I'm digging it still. It's still such a cool vehicle. And yeah, all of the seatbelts and everything were intact. And I'm very, 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 very fortunate to have such a good specimen, actually. Your specimen, though, and something that you remarked on when I actually saw it, and I have to agree with you, there is a slightly different grade of plastic used to That's the right. that, that was released here domestically. And I think that might have something to do with the fact that our toys, or our G.I. Joes, were routed via the U.K. We got the United Kingdom releases of G.I. Joe. And Action Force stuff. Well, by that stage, Action Force had been done away with, hmm. but yeah. we still had... Newport Gwent United Kingdom uh, on the packages and the assortments were slightly different mm -hmm. that was the box art now looking over my bug packaging and comparing it to images found on on yojo.com there are different different cobras piloting the thing there's an annihilator riding one of the skis and there's oh, wow. a piper lying down on one of those flatbeds and like a norga hide these are like 1989 Cobra troops mm. on a 1988 released vehicle. So yeah, that is awesome. It's in the United Kingdom. The release date was bumped forward by a year. I mean, <laughs> it's anybody's guess because I picked up my bug from the same store that you did, CNA, just down here at the coast. And that was, it was 1993. Oh, wow. I think I got mine before you. Yeah, maybe it was just old stock lying around in CNA back here. But, uh, yeah, I picked that guy up, as I say, full five years after that uh, vehicle had debuted. Another thing that was pretty cool is I'm pretty sure that the bug that was that I got from CNA, the original one, uh, CNA doesn't have like, uh, doesn't have this habit of stocking stuff in the back. They used to, and they still seem to put everything out. You know, they don't really seem to keep too much stock in the back. You, you can tell this because when you go into the stores, they don't replenish a lot. I don't think that's a policy that's changed too much because they're actually a, a newsstand or they sell magazines and stationery mostly. So the toys are sort of a, a small function of theirs. And I'm sure that the bug I got is the same one that I pined of. It wasn't like, oh, you know, some kid, somebody else bought it and then mine was a backstock. So 
you know, I, I, I managed to get the, the bug that I pined over for about, I think, a, a good two months, three months. I imagine large boxed toys did not move very quickly at a news agent. The likelihood of it being the same one that everyone else wanted but parents passed up because of the cost, yeah, it's pretty strong. So to all of you, like, South African kids out there that have grown up and that really wanted that bug, um, just so you know, um, I don't know if this consoles you at all, but I played with that thing to death. It is probably the most played toy, uh, most played with toy in my house. So if that makes you feel better that it went to a good home, it did. I feel like we've dwelt a lot on the nostalgia of this vehicle, and I, I don't want to dwell on it too much more, but... No, totally. I mean, that's me for nostalgia. In terms of function, in terms of its aesthetic... No, you go... You like the technical stuff for the vehicles. Well, <laughs> it's linked to a funny story. I uh, started a rather bad precedent on the Christmas of 1993, knowing that the Cobra Bug was coming my way. I was told that I cannot open anything until Christmas morning. <laughs> Christmas morning being very loosely defined, I thought as soon as I woke up, it was Christmas morning. Uh. Actually, it was 4 a.m. <laughs> so I rushed to the tree, pick out the biggest box, which I know is going to be the bug, and I start assembling this thing in the dark. Uh-oh. And in the dark, reading those blueprints is challenging, finding the parts is challenging. I mean, the art to making and building and deckling a G.I. Joe vehicle is something that is lost on generations of toy buyers today. But then yeah. it was, it was a, a fantastic ritual, one that you should do in a well-lit room, of course, not when you're trying to very stealthily do it without waking up the house. Anyway, I thought the front of the bug was the back, and the back was the front. And it's a very easy mistake to make, because this thing is so uniquely designed. It is so asymmetrical and, and just crazy, mixed-up, almost half-finished-looking submersible vehicle. So, really off the wall, but there's a lot of real-world functionality there that make it so cool. It's got a kind of a... a deep-sea submersible vehicle look to it, having these great bubble viewports that offer yeah. the pilot's uh, maximum vision or forward vision, and it's got those engines on the side, so it looks like a submersible craft, but also it's an amphibious craft. One yeah. thing that I think is a missed opportunity on the bug is it could have had more of an APC potential. Cobra was really starved of good personnel carriers, and the bug would have made a fantastic one for landing troops. But instead, they went with the gimmick of having those sleds. Which Guys, strapped to the sides of the vehicle, and they can't go anywhere. I find that impractical. Well, it's an optional extra. I mean, you can put weary divers on there, and they can just chill out while the vehicle does the work. But if they'd hollowed out the interior... Minus those sleds, you could have had a really cool APC, and it almost felt like it was meant to be. I mean, those side hatches look like they should be for troop access and not for yeah. little additional vehicles. And mm. <laughs> I'm sure as a seven-year-old, I took those sleds out and willed people into those hatches. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, I think I did the same. Stuffed in there completely. As I said, I don't want to dwell too much on one vehicle. We've got a lot to get through, so that's it for the bug on my side. What Stephen was talking about earlier with the plastic on my bug is mine seems to be almost brighter, like a brighter turquoise and the sort of yellowy-green hatches are slightly brighter. Now, I don't know if that's just because the guy I bought it from kept it in the shade 
quite a lot or whatever, and or and maybe Steve's one has seen a little bit of sun action, but when I looked at it, the first thing I went, uh, I said to myself was, wow, this is quite a bit brighter than mine used to be. It's a lot closer to some of the like pictures I've seen of it where it's more neon, whereas I remembered mine being quite a darker turquoise. The yellow was just slightly dulled, but not as much. Well, it's quite known that there are variances in plastic quality used over the years because vehicles saw re-release later on. I mean, a vehicle that debuted in 88 was still in production in 89, maybe even 90, before it was finally pulled. So from year to year, there might have been some variance. I do know for sure there are variances in the flag's decking. Some decks are lighter than others. Some are very dark. There's a Kokomo Toys video that you guys can check out on their website or on their YouTube site, I should say, showing them with like an army build of flags. And there's very, a very distinctly dark deck flag. Oh, okay, I must double-check that, actually. Cool, next one. Next one is another vehicle shared between two of us. This time it's Rob and myself. We both agreed that the Cobra Moray is absolutely superb and needs to be in our top five list. So one of the best vehicles, yeah. I've spoken enough. Rob, climb <laughs> in, buddy. Well, I think it was just, it's just such a practical-looking vehicle. You know, it just looks like it's for real. You know, like I could imagine someone actually building this in the real world and just going, hey, slap a bunch of guns in there and you have an attack vehicle. And it just looks so impressive and and mean, I think. You know, like... No, I gotta agree. It means business, you know. And the cool thing is that Stephen and I got ours at the same time because we ordered it from um, the same guy. Didn't we? We did. Okay, I'm going to chime in here, but earlier than expected, because, uh, like I say, I wanted to hand the reins over to Rob, but I can't let that one ride. No, actually, the moray that I have in my collection was a gift from Rob to me on my my 21st birthday. (laughs) It sort of was the... Oh, I don't own one, that's right. It was the, the, the beginning of the landslide of my G.I. Joe vehicle collecting and, well, yeah. our G.I. Joe vehicle collecting. We had just discovered an online store that had the most amazing deals. Yes, and selection of stuff as well. This guy had so much good stuff. Yeah, and sadly sold it off eventually yeah. before we could uh, completely buy out his inventory. I remember now just the Desert Fox that I bought more than one off. Yeah. Oh, but I bought this for you as well. What a generous guy! <laughs> Anyway, the Moray, the original 1985 Moray, in its maroon color scheme, is a boat that has got so much going for it. Mm. They could not have crammed more features into a piece of plastic if they tried. It's just insane. I, I just have to pinch myself when I count the number of armaments this thing possesses, okay? It's got these two enormous forward-firing cannons. It's got a machine gun turret on a swivel ring, which can elevate and clicks very nicely when you do. It has got a laser between the pilot and co-pilot, two rockets mounted on either side, a torpedo bay, hidden torpedo bay, which is activated by the press of a button, which elevates, and you can battle to pluck the torpedoes out and fire them out. And then if that wasn't enough, Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I meant to make it the, the penultimate, but, but there's more. There are two enormous torpedoes mounted just underneath 
the ports and starboard fairing on the craft. The back of the craft has four removable depth charges in a recessed pod, these two holders, which you can pull out and the, the, the mines fall out nicely. Mm-hmm. Of course, they don't do what mines are supposed to do, which is sink. They tend to float, but they weren't going to package pieces of lead uh, <laughs> in a G.I. Joe toy. And if that wasn't enough, dear listeners, <laughs> there are four machine gun points in the back. Four machine gun points? Wow! <laughs> okay, of all the features of this thing, I'd say those are the least necessary. They're kind of rather dull sculpts. They're a single piece, and they don't really look that convincing as machine guns. The design team kind of took a break on making them very convincing. Uh, and also, it just makes the back section look very, very crowded very mm-hmm. quickly. If you put four guys manning those guns back there, it's, it's insane. But the foot pegs that you stand them on are hidden compartments. You can fry them up and put guns in there. It's just all the little touches that make this thing amazing. There are two hidden crew compartments, just four of the, the, the cockpit. What else? Removable engine cover, which has one of the most incredible, well-colored and, 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 and intricate engines, which actually has the two jet engine portions in a different color plastic. So you've got this differentiation. Whereas a lot of vehicles have removable engine covers, but the engine detailing underneath is the same plastic color. They didn't bother to color it. This is a separate molded piece that you actually fit in, and it's got separate molded pieces that fit into it. And then, of course, it's a hydrofoil. That's not even just a normal boat. It's a hydrofoil, which is a little mechanism that you can push forward, and then these lovely planes come out at the bottom. And if you go into super thrust mode... It goes... Guys, I put this sucker in water this afternoon for a full hour and a half. It did not sink. Okay? It takes on a bit of water. There's still some water sloshing around inside. But the hull is constructed in such a way that this thing doesn't take on a slow stream of water that will eventually cause it to, to sink into the water. It does stay afloat. Which, as Form BX whatever, the YouTube video review guy states, he says that it floats, and I had to test this out for myself because his version of floating is putting it in a dunk tank. My version of floating is putting it in the pool and actually playing with that sucker, you know, moving it around at full tilt. And guys... That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Here at G.I. Joe Book, we really play with our toys. Yeah, we're posers. Um, <laughs> the inner child in me just screams with joy when you push this thing through the water at top speed and then sort of, like, raise it onto its hydrofoils. It just... It's beautiful. It really is. And so marvelously designed. And there were little decals with, like, instruments on the driver's dashboard and, and the console between the pilot and co-pilots. Later releases of this boat do not have that. So if you're going to go for it, go original, my friends. Yeah, and you would know, you did get another one, one of those lovely red fucking plastic ones. Yeah, the <laughs> nice, plastic is like... Nice tech boat, yeah, where they just had a swirly grey-green paint mixed ball. That's <laughs> like plastic someone mixture. making terrible candles. <laughs> Imagine your Facebook status. Steven Jobber in relationship, you know, with Cobra Moray. One other thing, the famous searchlight 
and its very uh, famous lens. Once that lens is in there, it's pretty snug. It's not going anywhere. It's not a loose piece. I must admit, I have some level of consternation when I see mores listed on eBay as complete, and then a little kind of caveat at the end saying, not including the lens. Does that mean then that they just didn't put it in properly originally? Were they like little kids going, oh, I don't want to put that in? I have another theory altogether. And it's possible, Rob. I mean, it's possible that kids threw it away thinking it was a piece of... Um, Something extra. ...packing, yeah, you packing material. The lens, as I say, fits so snugly that if you had actually put it in, it would take some effort to then get it out and lose the damn thing. So my theory is people know that it's a commodity. Sellers know that there are buyers out there who will pay top dollar for a single lens <laughs> to make their moray complete. But they are purposefully removing it from complete mores to create a demand for this part. I tell you guys, it's the evil bay. Must stop the insanity. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my theory. and I, I think, it's, I think your, theory, your theory is pretty sound, actually. It makes economic sense, yeah. Anyway... That's right, Sculpers, we're on to you. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do something. We'll petition. It will be nasty. <laughs> all right, so I think we've got all the common vehicles out of the way. Yeah, I think mm. after this, we're, we're all on our own now. Oh, no, there's one vehicle that is unilaterally on all of our lists. But I think we should save that for the end of the show. Agreed. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, alphabetical? <laughs> well... Yeah. Quickly, I, just uh, quickly, just before you guys get away with anything, I want a Cobra Moray. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I wasn't sold before, I am so sold now. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's, it's such an awesome vehicle. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's a vehicle that's not meant to sit on a shelf, Paul. <laughs> you, I will totally play with that bad boy. I play with my other Joe toys. Oh, you crap, I just murdered that. Go friend's house, get in the pool with your Moray, and just tell her to... Do something for an hour. Hey, I totally get into the pool with my moray. <laughs> and not your girlfriend. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, just got the look. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's talk about other vehicles. Yeah. Let me start with uh, the the last one on my list. It brought me a lot of joy as a kid. I never actually bought it, incidentally. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, his dad got it for him from Scotland. And I didn't even know it existed because I didn't. Uh, when he mentioned it to me, there was this um, this name, and it just it didn't ring any bells. And then he came over to my house uh, with these tomahawk and the vehicle that I'm talking about, which is the Cobra Condor. Now, prior to the Cobra Condor, I had never seen any of the other jets that had come out in the line. So having my hands on the Cobra Condor was well, it's surprising. It it is a pretty big jet. It's even it's still a big jet now. It's a whole bunch of plastic. It's really solidly built, and it has such an unusual shape. Yeah, I fell in love with the vehicle uh, almost instantly. And for a long time, you know, we would always go over to each other's houses and stuff and mess around with the figures and stuff. And then he let me borrow it from him. I had that and his tomahawk for a very, very long time. And then one day he uh, gave me a shout and he said, well, listen, can you grab his tomahawk back? And I was like, yeah, you can totally grab the tomahawk. I was very sad. I wanted us to buy it from him. But he said I could keep the condor. And I had that th that vehicle for a very, very good long time. And it's one of my favorites. Uh, it's It's got a really cool mechanism, the little bomb mechanism in the wings. I know that it sacrifices some of the aesthetic quality uh, in the sense that it's not a closed wing. You can There's little glass doors that you can open, or little see-through plastic doors uh, that expose the bombs, but, you know, it's forgivable to a degree, and 
I just had a lot of fun just doing bombing runs. I mean, I used to, Joe's used to steal that condor, and they used to bomb the bug, and it used to be a whole bunch of fun for me. And it really was the only G.I. Joe jet I had. I didn't have to substitute it with, like, a Ring Raider or something, you know? A Ring Raider is a small miniature jet that you put on your finger, and it attaches to a ring before you guys think I'm weird. But, yeah, Cobra Condor. Well, something happened to my original Condor. I still got one half of it. I had two halves, uh, both parts of it. Uh, before I met Steve, and then I was dying to show Steve the Cobra Condor, and yeah, one of the parts just mysteriously vanished, and yeah, I had to go and get myself a new one from eBay, and I managed to get a pretty good specimen, all the stickers intact, all of the missiles included, except for Aero Viper, which to me is not a major loss. He's one stubby guy. It's like, you have to grow your goatee in order to be considered for Aero Viper duty. (laughs) Totally, dude. I mean, if you're not, like, rocking a goatee, you're not rocking a condor. No doubt, man. It comes standard issue. Also, I mean, something that I, I, I loved about the Cobra Condor as well, and it's funny how this happened, but the G.I. Joe video game, I had managed to get it after getting the Cobra Condor from my friend, and it was really cool to see the Cobra Condor in the game. Um, it's the same thing I had with the bug. I love that the bug is in the game. Yeah, and I lose it, man. I lose it every time I see a... G.I. Joe Cobra vehicle in 8-bit glory. Oh, it's such a cool thing. Dig it. And yeah, it's just got such a good profile. Um, and okay, yeah, it splits in the middle, which for the longest time was a really cool feature for, you know, my younger mind. But as I've grown up, I've come to appreciate the fact that it doesn't split apart and that it just sticks together in one full format. It's also got some really good landing gear. I love how the landing gear fits in pretty snugly. The little covers and everything and Oh, it's just, it's even got a cool logo. I love the Cobra Condor. I would totally agree with you, man, but I only ever encountered it as an adult. And while I can see the beauty of it, I also kind of feel the weight of its impracticality. Of course. Yeah, I mean, storing the bombs inside the wings, those wings are like bread loaves, man. (laughs) They have no aerodynamic quality at all. Uh, that weird ring set up for the tail with a gun in it. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it sells high in terms of play value, but it really kind of shoves real world uh, practicality out the window. Even when they used it in the comics, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sure I've read at least one issue with the, there's a couple. Yeah, there are a few issues where they use a condor. And they just split it into pieces. It's just, ah. Uh, I don't know. The rocket's front end just seems to have no control surface whatsoever. It's got these yeah. stub wings and this long body with no tail. That like the was... suicide bomber, basically. <laughs> like, sending the guy front off, like, hey, okay, final, you know, final solution. Well, even in the video game, I mean, the the tail end is the part that survives that comes back to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah, you obviously draw the short straw and the, the unlucky goatee-wearing guy gets the front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have a moment of silence for that one. <laughs> My bad. Say, you know, the guy who draws the short straw and gets the front, um, he's the only guy who's facing forward. The other guy kind of watches dust until these two things blast apart and he's finally flying the flying boomerang section. Yeah. With massive ring in the front. I don't know, with that ring off it and more conventional stabilizers in the back, it would look quite respectable if you can just ignore the really thick wing surface. 
and the additional landing gear. I mean, because it has that split apart section, both the front and the back have landing gear, and that just means it doubles up on landing gear. And yeah. landing gear, once you're airborne, is just dead weight. So aircraft always have to split the difference between having really structurally strong landing gear and landing gear that is lightweight enough to not create too much drag once you're once you're airborne. Yeah, totally, man. Okay, who wants to shoot off their their unique okay. specimen? Um, I think I'll go with the Hiss two. I think it's just always appealed. It just seems like such a huge improvement on the original Hiss in so many ways. I mean, just even just practically. I have to agree. It's better armed, and better armored. It's got those cool like um, flanks that sort of cover the treads. Mm-hmm. See that it's much better protected against attack. Yeah, and it just seems to be well equipped to sort of go out into the field. You know, it sort of has better sensors. It seems to have some sort of jamming device. Um, I just like it because it seems if it was for real, it would be so much. It would be an amazing vehicle to face up against. Well, the the thing I dig about because I've got one. Um, I also never bought this. It's something that a friend of mine gave me. Um, firstly, it's an APC, which is great. Uh, it serves as an APC. It, you can uh, fit four guys into the rear compartment, uh, which is great. And they come with those waist clips to pop them in there, keep them nice and snug. Uh, it's got a great locking mechanism to open that back section, and it, it pulls out and then it flaps open so that they can sort of run out. It's cool. I like the, the raised profile in the front. If you're a, a ground... A ground trooper, it's some, it's quite intimidating because it's just a whole bunch of armor that's coming at you. There's not a lot of soft points, except for obviously it's a glass canopy, but if you're on foot, hitting that glass canopy is quite difficult. It's not as, as obvious as the original Hiss, in my opinion. And I also love the way that they've done the cockpit in that vehicle and that it flaps open and it looks like its mouth is open, like it's got a mouth. And the guy's also connecting there with waist clips again. So there's no seat belts or anything finicky. It's just a waist clip and then it slots into the seat. It's a really, really great vehicle. Even the, the turret is pretty cool. The only catch with it is when you got somebody in the turret, their feet are dangling in the troop compartment. So that guy's having a hard time because everybody's like trying to tickle his feet. Yeah, don't, don't piss off the infantry, basically. If you just, you're the tank gunner, you want four of your best friends down there. Yeah, totally. Or, you know, maybe four people that are good at keeping their space and just keeping quiet in the back. So I think this is definitely something I want to own. I, I def- yeah, if I had to buy a vehicle, I would buy this one. Yeah, it's, it's a goodie. I have to agree with you there, Rob. It's a really, really great vehicle. It didn't make it on my list because the other thing that is taking its place is a little bit more dear to me in some respects, but it's definitely a notable mention for me. What isn't a notable mention about it is Track Viper, which I think is the most uninspired vehicle driver ever. Yeah. Quite horrible, and I'm kind of glad you lost him, Paul. Well, I didn't. David, uh, my buddy David, actually kept him. That was the sort of thing. He wanted to keep Track Viper, and it wasn't like the end of the world for me. I'm glad David found a place in his heart for Track Viper, because I couldn't. And how the hell you fit a human head inside that helmet? I'll never know. It's got these I know, right? flat portions on the side, so it doesn't kind of like widen like a normal human face would. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm ranting. from annihilator syndrome. That too. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, Hasbro liked it enough to reuse it for the Nitro Viper. Why? Of all the vehicle drivers they could have picked, they picked Track Viper to drive their mobile ICBM dispenser <laughs> <laughs> with air foam missiles. 
<laughs> plunger operated. Anyway, sorry. That vehicle did not make any of our top five lists. Dear listeners, don't you worry. <laughs> okay, I'm going to weigh in with one of my all-time favorite Cobra vehicles. This is the Cobra Wolf Winter Operations Land Fighter, or Light Fighter, depending on what version you got, what packaging you got. And for attacking on snow and ice, there's the Cobra Wolf. It's the Techno Viper. Cobra Wolf is vicious all ice and snow, and hot on the trail of G.I. Joe. Now, the Cobra Wolf is a vehicle that I got early on in my collecting days. It was actually my first Cobra vehicle. Up until that point, I was the proud owner of a Tiger Paw. Oh, cool. And a Pulverizer. Uh, not so cool. It was on vacation to Johannesburg, which is Paul's stomping ground. Uh, <laughs> A wonderful vacation destination, I must say. <laughs> so close to the ocean and, and all that good stuff. You know, it's a lot of fun, okay? Living in the city is cool. My friends, it was a lot of fun to me as a seven-year-old. I was gobsmacked by the big city and all the cool stuff that the big city had. There were toys that I'd never seen before. And I walked into this uh, very interesting toy store that... That had an upper level and then a basement. Wow. And there was some treasure to be had there, my friends. It was late 1992, and in the action figure aisle, there was this dusty old box. I mean, by that stage, obviously, the wolf had been around for several years, like four or five years. Yeah. So I already knew that this was G.I. Joe, but vintage. This was some old stuff. Yeah, it was not like a battle wagon. Ugh. The box proclaimed that Ice Viper had swivel arm battle grip. And I thought, what is this? What's <laughs> swivel arm battle grip? I mean, it's something that I'd taken for granted up until that point because every figure came with swivel arm battle grip and didn't advertise it. But back when The Wolf was released, it was still a selling point. Everything about the package just told me this was something special. Luckily, it was gifted to me before Christmas, so I had something to, to potter around with on the lead-up, and what joy it brought me on that very warm summer vacation. I mean, <laughs> playing with the wolf in a in 30-degree heat. There's something to behold. <laughs> it's a bit counterintuitive, but anyway, this thing was just magical to me, and the fact that it held two pilots in an enclosed cockpit the fact that it was asymmetrical and had all these points of interest, like the pop-up missile launcher, ski torpedoes, the detachable skis that became, well, I always use them as snowboards because that's how I roll. I'm one of those cool kids. Uh, they never formed skis that a figure would attach to. And that would be just greedy anyway. What an effort, though. I mean, you know, grab one on that one side of the vehicle, walk into the other side, grab the other one, okay, I want to go ski now. And make sure you don't walk around the business end of the vehicle because you might get a jet thrust in your face. Yeah. I did not discover the flip-up tread feature until much later. This was a massive discovery for me and just well entrenched this vehicle as one of the coolest ever. I mean, the fact that, it's, that it is a, a half-track ski-mobile gives it the ability to, I suppose, tackle gradients. But the fact that it can then flip those up and switch into a jet... Well, not an airborne jet, but a jet-powered ski vehicle. It, it just blows my mind. I mean, how fast do you think this thing can traverse flat terrain? It just, it's insane. It should have a spoiler. 
No, it is a very, very cool vehicle. Uh, and so unique. But they definitely outperformed every other Arctic vehicle. And we need only look as far as special missions issue number 20 for evidence in this regard, where four Cobra Wolves wipe out an entire Russian convoy. And they school the Joes. I don't know. If the Joes weren't Joes, they would have been wiped out. I'm sorry. The, the wolf just owns. In an Arctic environment, you can't have a more competent vehicle. I have to agree with you. I mean, compared to the Snowcat? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it has the Snowcat beat on everything, especially armaments. I mean, the Snowcat needs a gun. Yeah. Once you've fired off those missiles and ski torpedoes, assuming you've managed to deal some damage with those... Retreat time, retreat time. Absolutely, yeah. and you're going to retreat how quickly? I mean, <laughs> I'd, I'd be very interested to see a Snowcat trying to perform in really loose powder without chain tires, at the very least. I mean, it should have a front-mounted ski, but it's trying to steer with conventional wheels, please. It needs to be tracked front and back, at least, or, or have deployable skis in the front. Anyway, this is a discussion about the wolf and not the snowcat, which would definitely get owned, and the, the wolf has decals in this regard. Oh, yeah? Just... I know those. Yeah, on the port side, behind the gunner position, there are four kills. All of them are snowcat decals with strike through. So this wolf, this particular wolf that uh, made mass production <laughs> into our hands, <laughs> is... The ace. <laughs> or a near ace. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One kill short of an ace. And I mean, if there were two Joes driving each of those snowcats, well, oh. that's uh, quite a dent in G.I. Joe's Arctic personnel, I'd say. Yeah. At what? least they killed Snowjob. <laughs> hey, don't hate on Snowjob. Snowjob's awesome. Ah, yeah. One more note on the decals. Uh, back in 92, as I say, I was seven years old and needed help applying them. And whose help did I seek? None other than my, my dear old dad, who used to potter around with model kits, building them, painting them, deckling them. You know, that was his childhood favorite toy. So I thought I was leaving them in pretty good hands. Well, good hands about halfway through, until he decided to get creative. Uh, some of the decals wound up completely misapplied. There were, like, the, the console inside the driver's portion wound up on the missile launcher. <laughs> and there were decals inside the jet engine exhausts. You probably just figured you never noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. For most of my adult life, I didn't. And then I took out my wolf and, and had a bit of a nostalgia trip and then started really scrutinizing the decal placements and thinking, oh, they're a bit wonky, I could improve that got out the blueprints, and lo and behold, <laughs> nothing was where it should be. I mean, my dad completely misread this, the instructions or misread how to orientate the vehicle when he was one. <laughs> so I actually managed to take a blade, peel them off meticulously, and reapply them, and the adhesive held, firstly, and the stickers themselves adhered nicely and didn't sort of leave like a white substance between the surface of the vehicle and the sticker itself. So, win-win. Really impressive stuff. My, my experience with the Wolf has been a very good one as well. Um, having only had uh, gotten mine last year, uh, when Steve was up here doing some work up in Joburg, we uh, endeavored to uh, do an eBay order, and uh, I think he scored a whale, and I got a Wolf in that deal. 
And the cool thing is, I think I scored it for a whole 50 bucks, if I'm not mistaken. And that's rand. That's our currency. 50 rand. That's not a lot of money. Oh, no, it's a little bit more. I think it's about 100 or 150. But still, I mean, for a vehicle, it's nothing. I think it worked out to about $20. And it was a really great specimen. I mean, the, the previous owner had placed the decals in the right place, except for one. And he had kept all the missiles intact. And it's just, it's very white. It hasn't yellowed too badly. Um, everything functions. And I also only recently found the, the flip-out tread feature, uh, which I found to be very cool. But the, the decal that he misplaced was also the, the driver's console, the computer console decal was actually above the cockpit on the, the white part where the, the, the blue plat, where the blue cockpit connects, just above there. So obviously the, the cockpit sticker created a lot of confusion amongst the, those that acquired a wolf in their day. But yeah, I have to agree with Steve. It is also a very, very cool vehicle. Not something that quite reached my, my list, um, but really, it's a lot of fun. Uh, when I received the delivery, it was at work. So I had the thing on my desk, and everybody in the office uh, picked it up and checked it out and thought it was really awesome, wondered where it was from. And when I told them it was G.I. Joe, they all started waxing nostalgic. So that was pretty cool. So I got a little bit of a wolf memory there. Before we move on, and we really need to move on, I, something must be said about Ice Viper himself. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool troop. He is the mechanized branch of the Snow Serpent Legions. And because he had a removable helmet and a balaclava beneath, this guy was our snow ninja. Okay. <laughs> we love ninjas so much that any figure that remotely looked like a ninja was a ninja. And this was only supported by the fact that his armament of choice were a pair of size. Yes, apparently very rare. Very, very rare. Well, I'll tell you, they were the first thing that got lost on mine. But I did have them long enough to know that they were very dainty, they were molded in silver, and they clipped to his leg. Uh, How cool is that? Yeah. How cool is that? 87, and you've got holsterable size. Brilliant. I wish I had known as much about it then as I did now. Maybe they would have stayed intact. Hell, maybe they are, in fact, inside my wolf. I need to tear it open and see if I've got some size rattling around in there. But I do remember them being very cool, very accurately scaled as well. Somewhere, someone did a write-up about, in the, the coldest conditions, you can't trust your weapon, you can only trust some cold steel. And that makes an Ice Viper that much more badass. You're up next, Paul. Hit it. Cool, man. Okay, um, the last one on my list that we haven't mentioned other than our coup de gras is the Cobra Mamba. Here it is, the Cobra Mamba. Cobra Mamba, its power is frightening from out of the blue. It's The Cobra Mamba is a fast attack copter with laser guns and missiles on both sides. These are for sweater attack. The Mamba holds three Cobras and the sides detached to become separate attack pods. Triple threat leadership, Cobra Mamba. Cobra! Yo, Joe! Live the adventure of G.I. Joe, Cobra Mamba, and other vehicles and figures sold separately. Wow, such an unusual vehicle by anybody's standards, actually. I managed to acquire one also uh, last year. What happened is a friend of mine went over to L.A. to go and study at the New York Film Academy, and he stumbled upon a comic store and then uh, saw some G.I. Joe stuff and promptly, you know, got hold of me because I asked him to keep an eye open for Joe Gear. And thinking that I was going to get the usual, oh, they've got POC this and POC that, 
and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff I knew, he surprised me with a mint-in-box Cobra Mamba. It ended up being 980 Rand, and he sent it through to me, I wired money through to him, and it was one of the coolest G.I. Joe experiences I've had, ever. Uh, it's always a vehicle I've liked. I have seen it in catalogs. I've always thought it was very unusual. I've seen it a, bit, a few times in cartoon clips, and it also happens to be in the game as well. And, wow, uh, where do I start? For starters, old school box, everything was on the sprues, so I got to have the experience that most of us should have had when we were kids, opening my first Mamba. It's an unusual vehicle. Uh, once again, just stressing the, the oddness of this thing. It, it shipped to me with two packs of JB Cool Jelly Beans, and I was munching jelly beans while assembling this and taking photos of it, and I, I, I think it's the rotor mechanism which uh, won me over, or maybe it's how started the toy is, but I have gotten a lot of fun and a, a lot of joy out of my Cobra Mamba. And I can find some pr cool practical uses for it. The only thing I have got an issue with is the, the cockpits do seem a little bit cramped, and the, the you know, Vipers do have to lie on their backs when they're riding it, but other than that, I dig it. It's got a lot of fun. It's got a lot of great features, it's, and it's one of the only Cobra helos you'll get. In fact, help me out here, Steve. I think aside from the Rip Attack, those little Rip Attack vehicles, I think this is the only Cobra helicopter. What's a Rip Attack vehicle? That's silly, like, helicopter things that you, like, you put a ripcord in, you pull the ripcord and it flies up into your roof. That's what you mean the Battlecopters. Those Battlecopters, thank you. Okay, well, you, you are completely ignoring the Fang series of helicopters, right? Oh, but I consider, oh yeah, but I mean, oh yeah, there's a Fang one, but yeah, that's, that's a Fang one. It's nice. Well, you have a certain affinity for the Fang too, so... Yeah, the VTOL. It's awesome. <laughs> Okay, so there's another chopper. I just remembered that it was the Mamba that Steve and I bought one each. I was confused earlier. Well, we did that on a few things. We bought the Mambas together. We bought Trouble Bubbles, Snake Armors, APCs. We stumbled upon this vehicle dealer, and, like, it was Christmas. We each both had to have one of everything. <laughs> yeah, and, the, yeah, that was an awesome day when we got the Mambas, because, like, we just, like, went about cleaning them. <laughs> they were just so dirty and like how did we choose between who would get the like mumbo like I think I've got the one with a better mechanism that's what he thought <laughs> <laughs> I had already scrutinized decal quality and placement on both of them so I kind of like I sold it I sold it very well I'd say I said wow man this one's rotors spin so well right. <laughs> at least I don't have to stick my rotors down with press stick yes you do no I don't uh, it just shows how much you play with the thing uh, I, I love the mamba um, it, it's got quite a big um, footprint though uh, it, it's, a, it's bigger than I thought it would be <laughs> well you need to pop those rotors off but then again that creates wear and tear I'd say listeners that the only thing that I would want to change with the Mamba, and I know this contradicts what you'd say, or what you already said, Paul, I would say give it a single rotor shaft. Oh, blasphemy. Yeah. I wouldn't make it an awesome Cobra vehicle then. It, it, it's the double rotor thing that makes it so interesting. Makes it yeah. more Cobra. Well, okay, sure. But why don't we see more helicopters designed that way? It kind of was a failure. No, I, you're right, you know, but that's that's the cool thing about Cobra vehicles is the suspension of disbelief. I just remember seeing it for the first time in print form yeah. before I knew that the toy existed and seeing this thing and thinking, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> the, 
the artist kind of drew these weird intersecting propeller arcs. But it's based on an actual real-life design. I I can appreciate that, but a design that hasn't found favor. Mm. Anyway, I don't want to talk about the technicalities of, of a toy. I think it's great. It fulfills a great function because, let's face it, the fangs were cannon fodder. They were very lightly armored, small, heavily armed for their size. Yeah. But they were like one-hit wonders. I mean, those things couldn't take any punishment whatsoever. And they're the kind of things that Cobra would use the en masse tactic. Whereas a Mamba is a far more competent and lethal adversary. Yep. And also, it, it hints at having some form of stealth ability as well. Oh, yeah, those two pods uh, yes. are stealth deployment uh, features, I'd say. I mean, I, I wouldn't fancy the chances of a Mamba reacquiring them in flight. No, I don't think that that's... Yeah, in my in my head, it doesn't work like that. It's just they're just deployment pods, you know? And that's it's it. a low-profile, very slender-looking beast. So, yeah, it probably has very stealthy profile. Also, um, just before I move off the Mamba, I do think the fact that the Fang 2 and the Mamba are both purple. I like that it's, it unifies the Cobra Air Force, if you know what I mean. You know, I know the Fang 1 was black, and a lot of uh, other vehicles, and the Cobra line, the vehicles all have the crazy colors, but I dig the fact that, yeah, the Fang and the Mamba are both purple, and it does unify them a little. It does sort of give the impression that they made around the same time, even though they weren't. If I did get myself a Fang, a Fang 2, I'd probably definitely pop it next to the Mamba in my little shelf space. <laughs> The little bit of shelf space I have left. Yeah, I don't think you have many options there. It's either pocket next to the mumbo or like... On the roof. Yeah. <laughs> next up, Robbie. Yes, my, my final uh, personal choice before our, yeah, our finale um, is the Rattler. This is Wild Bill aboard the Dragon's Helicopter. It's pretty as a picnic up here. Cobra! Yeah, it's amazing. Also, because I like real-world applications of things, and it's essentially just the A-10 Thunderbolt 2, or Warthog. It's just brilliant, and the fact that it incorporates VTOL as well, and it's so well-armed, it's just brilliant. And even though, like, I don't have an original... I have sort of like a G.I. Joe um, version of it. I'm still so happy that I have it. And I'm probably remembering incorrectly, but I think it was the first Joe vehicle that I ever bought. Because before that point in, in my childhood, I really did not own any G.I. Joe vehicles. I only owned a couple of figures, you know, that I could get. So I sort of entered the G.I. Joe sort of arena, I think, a lot later than even or perhaps Paul did. And I got it at the same shop where Steve got his uh, infamous... Uh, Tomahawk in its box, even though it was sort of like a half-ripped open box and it didn't include the uh, the pilot. But, Which, um, in effect, allowed you to get it at a steal. I mean, yeah. how, much, how much do you think you paid for that? I couldn't have been more than 250 rand. And that is the very limited run toy. I mean, yeah. it's quite sought after now. This is the 1997 relaunch of G.I. Joe, mm. where they recolored the Rattler with a, a mottled green camo. And called oh wow they called it the Warthog yeah the the, the Thunderbolt no they called it the Thunderbolt Thunderbolt yeah named after what its real name is yeah. yeah that's very cool it would have come with an Ace and a General Hawk two figures that we sorely needed at the time but someone had gotten to them first the only thing that was left was a helmet and a gas mask but the great thing that otherwise it just it came complete with everything it has all its missiles and its bombs and even has the two removable panels 
Yeah, those damage damage versions. Yeah, I think that's just so cool. You know, it it just improves play. Like, okay, I shut you over here. Quickly pop out the panel, put the other one in. It has so much potential, and it's and I like that it's based off a real world craft. I mean, in general, that's what I liked about the things on my list is that they seem they could be real. That's why I didn't go for too many outlandish vehicles. And yet, you say real, but definitely cobrified. I mean, in the case of the the Rattler specifically... The gun turrets. No, I'm ignoring that. <laughs> the fact that it's a vertical takeoff and landing craft just gives it an operational capability that, that the Warthog, the real-life A-10, could not possibly match. Mm. Uh, yeah. To be able to deliver ordnance from a vehicle that can be stationed on any dirt strip, any flat piece of land, anything. Mm. You could take these suckers off from a hidden base bomb the shit out of G.I. Joe, or whoever Cobra once bombed, and then retreat back to that base, cover it up, bam, nothing doing. Complete surprise attack. I mean, it's actually something I'm on the hunt for now. I've, I've found one on eBay, um, a mint and box specimen of the 25th anniversary re-release, and I'm gunning for it, because I'm probably going to do it. I want a Rattler. I love that thing. But I, I don't want to put it on my list, because I haven't had any experience with it. I haven't actually held one in my hands or any of that. So maybe in a future episode, I might come back to that, actually. One thing that the uh, Thunderbolts version that Robert Quiet did not come with is a decal sheet. And I'm kind of grateful that it didn't. Because if we decaled it to G.I. Joe, it kind of would have stayed that way. But thanks to Cobra stickers, it's now the A-10 mold with the mottled green color scheme. But with a cool mouth in the front as well, that lovely key. Oh, cool. And it's got Rattler stickers, so it's got the Cobra Air Force logo, the Cobra serial numbering system for their aircraft, and all the, the cool little design elements, but it's got that green color scheme. So I think this thing really is an operational version of the Rattler. Mm. It's out there in the bad bush, being serviced and, and, and sent on missions, just like that scenario that I was... Uh, that I was mentioning. That's a good choice, Rob. Now we have Steve's uh, Steve's choice. What, what, what is that vehicle? Uh, once again, it's a huge nostalgia trip for me. This was the big daddy at the time. I went, was very fortunate to go with my family on a European road trip in the winter, or our winter, their summer, of 1993. We started off the trip and ended the trip in London because we were flying to and from Heathrow International. So, on the way in, I obviously cased the joint. I had a little scouting session in Hamley's, a very famous toy store. Also, Harrods. I was exposed to stuff that I'd never seen before, but G.I. Joe was still very much the prized item. And an item that had not been catalogued or showcased all back here was the Cobra Hammerhead. The box was about as big as I was at the time. I wasn't a very big seven-year-old, so this was just awesome, and also completely out of my my meager means. I think I'd saved up a full 80 rands of allowance to blow in Europe, which managed to stretch as far as a Spider-Man figure and a Cobra Ice Saber. So that was it for uh, for my Euro trip. Haha! Enter my Greek family, who uh, obviously fell in love with this the cute little boy 
<laughs> and doted on me like you can't believe. I think I walked out of there with like a hundred pounds sterling. So back on the way through uh, London, I was instructed to share out my cash. Your winnings. <laughs> yeah, share, share out my winnings uh, with my older brother and sister, but that still left me enough to afford that Oh, so beautiful. Cobra Hammerhead. Such a cool toy. Object of my desires. Up until that point, I had sleepless nights about it. I mean, this whole European trip was kind of overshadowed by the fact that I needed to get back to that sweet Hammerhead. My father and I spent our last day in London traipsing from tube station to tube station trying to find the best deal on a Hammerhead. (laughs) Because time was not on our side, I wound up having to settle for the worst deal on my Cobra Hammerhead, so I completely blew all the, the money that I'd been given. But hey, it's cool. I got it from Hamley's, so there's a nostalgia element right there. I mean, it was the best toy shop in the world. I mean, uh, whatever. I don't know. I think it's all hype, really. But <laughs> but at the time, it was amazing to think that there was a store in this world that had like seven or something stories of toys. Like, yeah. I'm used to like maybe an aisle of toys. An aisle <laughs> sandwiched between toiletries and pasta. <laughs> And the pink aisle. Yeah, the dreaded pink aisle. Though the pink aisles in most supermarkets were smashed in with the green aisles, so, oh dear. There were some hostile enemy forces in our beloved toy aisle. Anyway, so I made it back to South Africa with this enormous swag and immediately become the envy of all my friends and there there were people coming over to my place. I mean... Okay, maybe a big deal for some listeners out there is like getting a flag or a defiance, but to a little South African kid who had only very light brushings with G.I. Joe, having a few carded figures over the years, to have a vehicle this size, it became a base. It detached all these fantastic scout vehicles, which were all, of course, airborne. They're all spaceships. Note the Star Wars influence. (laughs) So in spite of being quite hokey, the Hammerhead, irrevocably, is, like, way up there for me. It's just a, a supreme favorite. It's extremely well-armed as a naval vessel. Damn right. <laughs> it's got about 14 torpedoes. I don't know. I'm not going to bother to count them for you guys. I wrote a, a review on my blog once upon a time. You can painstakingly read that. Re- re- some cool pictures. Yeah. I, uh, I hope so. <laughs> They stood the test of time. It's got a very interesting decompression chamber. And as a child, I thought this was for them to, to pick up divers and basically serve as a troop compartment. But uh, now that I know a little bit more about diving, I realize the decompression chamber is actually used to treat decompression sickness. So it is a very compassionate move for Cobra to have one of these chambers come standard on every single one of their hammerheads. It's remarkable because, I mean, obviously, you've got hydro vipers and eels, guys diving to extremely low depths. You've got this vehicle that trundles along behind them, ensuring that they recover from possible decompression sickness. Isn't it just an airlock, though? It I mean, says, isn't there, like, a compartment inside? Or? It says in the blueprints, decom- really? decompression chamber. So They obviously didn't understand what a decompression chamber was. Yeah, I always thought it was like a room that fills up with water and then releases the diver eventually. But no, it's a room that maintains the high pressures of of being hundreds of meters beneath the sea so that you can wean yourself off and allow... Oh, jeez, I'm going to have a science lecture now, but uh, wean yourself off the the nitrogen buildup in your joints. Allow that to to dissipate. And it only has to be so big because, I mean... Only people going to be using it are the two guys riding those little 
Well, you know, one decompression chamber between two guys. This could become uh, quite uh, fiercely contested. Me first! No, me first! Okay, Steve, you get to go. <laughs> well, I could go on for days about the hammerhead. I really could. No, it's a really cool vehicle. Like, sorry, I know I cut you off there, but for the longest time, it was a holy grail for me. The first time I had seen one... Uh, oddly enough, was in uh, Look Who's Talking To. It's on a TV ad. Little Mikey is sitting there, and John Travolta bursts through the door, and he's like, Hey, Mikey, guess what I got you? And Mikey's like, I got a hammerhead. And he pulls out a plane. He's like, a plane. He's like, oh, great, a plane. And I know exactly how he felt, because a cobra hammerhead was the vehicle I was looking for everywhere ever since I saw that. It it just it struck a chord. It just looked so cool in the catalog. And having had some, some playtime with it, yeah, it's it's a goodie. It's it's just big. It's a massive vehicle. I even put it through the water. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. I don't know if I told you, Steve, but uh, yeah, I threw it in the bath. Yeah, about that, Paul. I I'm, I'm, I hesitate to ask whether or not you were an occupant of that bath. No, no, I wasn't. I feel no, don't worry. I didn't like defile your toy. <laughs> <laughs> it was in there with the warthog, but it was not in there with the moray. I'm glad. Oh dear. Well, you need to fill that hole, my friend. I'm very glad that you had some 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 good times with it, and uh, yeah, it's it has certainly stood the test of time in my play world. I mean, nothing's really gone horribly wrong with it. It's still very much intact, and it's seen a beating. Let me tell you. But to be perfectly frank, I'm glad it has because toys are meant to be played with, my friends. And yep. my hammerhead, to my eyes, it's priceless. I don't care what kind of price it would fetch on eBay. I'm not selling it for the world. Mm-hmm. But all its battle scars just make it what it is and man it's beautiful and I haven't lost a single one of those torpedoes yeah and it's an awesome driver as well oh thank you for mentioning the decimator guys I reread his file card it seems like this guy is a singularity in the Cobra Legions he seems to be an officer of some sort he's got these bars on his chest he's got this double breasted jacket he's got a very unique piece of technology on his head but all the language used in the file card is decimator, he, him, his helmet. Contrast this this to the sector vipers, which pilot the bug. And it's very clear that sector yeah. vipers, also a cool sector vipers are vipers. Yeah, if you like the goldfish bowl helmet approach. Sure. I dig it, it's so sci-fi. Whatever, yeah, I know. you got a strange love for that General Hawk, too. Yep. <laughs> anyway, he's well, just extremely cool, and, and it's the first time I've ever realized that, yes, this guy is a guy. He's a character. He's not decimators. He's the one guy. He commands the Hammerhead Armada. That's kind of like Wild Weasel, just the pilot that comes with the original Rattler. Yeah, Cobra's ace pilot. Individual character. I love it when they do that. I have to agree. I dig it when, when Cobra has, like, elite guys that are, like, you know, the drivers or the pilots of, of a vehicle, and it, they do it very... Uh, I, I think it's only Wild Weasel and Decimator. Actually, for a long time, I thought Sector Viper was also singular. Yeah, and then you read um, the issues leading up to G.I. Joe's attack on Cobra Island, the Cobra Civil War. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Off the top of my head, I can't remember the issue number, but I think it's uh, Ghost Rider in the Phantom X-19 who bombs two Cobra bugs, wipes them out, and it's very clear that there are an entire crew, a crew of Sector Vipers manning the thing. 
Yeah, I, I dig that figure. I know, I know. That's not it's not everybody's favorite. It's oddly a rare Joe to get. A lot of guys climb up for him. If I never see another Sector Viper again, it's not the end of the world. I'll always miss mine. But it's very cool that the Decimator himself, though, is a unique character. That's actually very cool. Nice find, Steve. Issue 76 is where Ghost Rider and the Phantom X-19 demolishes two Cobra Bugs, and it's quite clear that there are numerous... Sector Viper manning the bugs. Ah, so it's not a unique character then. And now we know. And knowing it's half the battle. No! You guys. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it, dude. Well then, I guess that brings us to our final choice. The vehicle that made all our lists. Yes. One of the de facto awesome, amazing Cobra vehicles ever. Steven, adjectives, please. Go for it. I gushed enough for the hammerhead, but listeners, the vehicle that made all three of our lists and could possibly be considered our top one is none other than 1986's Night Raven. You're looking at Cobra's supersonic jet, the Raven. Cobra Raven, Cobra Raven. There's no haven from the Cobra Raven. Two jet engines, a drop-down cockpit, a hidden bomb port. Now you know it's got twin rear guns and a one-man drone. And it's on the lookout for G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. The adventure of G.I. Joe. Cobra Raven comes with what you see here. Other figures sold separately. Okay. We all know that uh, the Night Raven bears a strong resemblance to the SR-71. Mm-hmm. Blackbird. Possibly one of the most iconic and legendary jet planes ever. Bar none. Agreed. Every child of the 80s at least, and I hope it... it it's still in our consciousness nowadays. Everyone knows that signature outline. That's just that's just something. The stuff of legends. I mean, I remember getting, getting into full-blown arguments on the playground about what's Foster, a tomcat or a blackbird. Blackbird. Yeah. It's kind of obvious. Duh. But I'm serious, guys. I mean, children would obviously pick these random jets that, that everyone had some awareness of and put them against one another. And I must say I always went Blackbird, friends. Mm-hmm. And then there's those, those card games. Top, top Trumps. Yeah, Top, top trumps. trumps. Yeah. And I remember owning a, the the, um, the jet one. And yeah, Blackbird was definitely the fastest, at least according to them. The fastest, the biggest, the yeah. highest service ceiling. I yes, mean, it's just, it go the furthest. It yeah. was the, the top plane. <laughs> Well entrenched, you know. And to quote the ad, it was the fast, it's the fastest plane for 20 years. It was the fastest plane for 20 years before you even knew it, knew it existed. It's loosely quoted. SR-71 Blackbird is the fastest plane in the sky. 20 years before you knew it existed. Sorry. The Night Raven, however, is a departure from the SR-71 in a number of ways, and I must say I'm in agreement with most of them. Cobra needed a frontline jet fighter, something to match the Sky Striker and the more recently released Conquest. All they had was the Rattler. Now, I don't care what you try and tell me, the Rattler's got no air superiority role. It's not a dogfighter. It's a ground assault vehicle, yeah. But in addition to 
having an air superiority fighter. With the Raven, you've got a spy plane. Recon jet, yeah. If you collapse its function with the Blackbirds, it's a reconnaissance jet. But then you look at its overall size. It's a comparable size to the Sky Striker. I think this thing can pull some G. I think it could go toe-to-toe with the Sky Striker. Perhaps not outmaneuver the Sky Striker, but definitely act as an interceptor craft. Yeah. Very nicely armed for air-to-air combat. But it's, I think they did expect it to be the fastest thing in the air. Because, I mean, it, according to the blueprints, it's going to go Mach 3.5. <laughs> what? That's insane. Three, yeah, 3.5 times the Three and a half times the speed of sound. And also, all the armaments are rear-facing. Well, that's an element of contention, my friends. <laughs> I disagree. Really? Like, with what? You might be referring to the missiles in the pods. Yeah, not just that, but also the gun as well is rear-facing. Okay, the gun is the one thing that I don't like on the Raven. I I think they could have flown that easily. Just get rid of it. Just make the, the cockpit look flush without having a, a rear-facing gun. Because it is fixed in one arc. What is the other guy in the cockpit going to do? He's just sitting there. He's got, he, he got something to do. And he does face backwards. Yeah, so he's operating the, the, gun. Sen- the sensitive camera equipment and also the radar. Yeah, that probably would be his role. I must say, listeners, my Raven's weapons or missile complement all face forward. The pods are flush fit against the wings and the missiles inside them are facing forwards. The way I see that play out... Either the pod detaches from the, the Raven itself, becomes a sort of a decoy, and has a missile firing capability, or the missiles are ejected backwards and then arm and fire. And of course, the novelty there is you can fire on targets well within your range. And also you wouldn't have to give off your stealth signature, because they would just drop off. There wouldn't be any propulsion from them until they were a few meters away from the plane. Which is exactly what the F-22 does by having its majority of its payload internally stored. It ejects yeah. the missile, the missile shoots off, well clear of the jet. But my point with them dropping out backwards and then arming is that you can be closer to targets and still be able to engage them with missiles. Yeah. You can really sneak up nice and close. And get out of the AO very quickly as well. The missile will still have time to arm by dropping off the back. I don't know. To my mind, that makes sense. The internal bomb bay, which houses two missiles, are also forward-facing. I wished it actually had more inside there. It seems a waste. This internal bomb bay with just two missiles inside. Yeah. You could cluster about three in there. It might be fiddly to try and pull them out, but uh, at least it would be utilizing that that internal cavity a bit better. Yeah, you can imagine it being a feed, like a feeding system. Absolutely. Mm. And... You know, I, I wish in that case they would just fall out of a slot as opposed to having to yank the sliding mechanism down. You know, at the kind of velocities this thing's flying, having that thing suddenly drop down would probably tear it right off. Very possibly, yeah. That's my guess. And it's interesting also on both the blueprints for the Night Raven and then the G.I. Joe reissue of the Sky Raven, they don't mention it. There is no point for it, even though... I'm not sure, probably on the packaging they mention it, but on the blueprints themselves, they actually don't. There's no information given for it. But it's in the commercial! It's got a hidden Bombay and a one-man drone, and Well, that's probably why they felt they didn't have to mention it. They're like, ah, everyone knows about it. 
Yeah, it's the sales gimmick. Um, I was lucky enough to to actually get the blueprints with my purchase with my Night Raven. So I'll be sure to check that out just now. I've just stashed it away in my filing compartment thing. It's it's like a cool gimmick feature on the on the toy itself, but it is something that that wouldn't act that way in real life, I'd imagine. All right. Uh, few things that I want to raise on the Night Raven. It's got a decal that says "Danger Upward Ejection System." Even though the cockpit has this wicked drop-down mechanism. It's still expected that the pilots eject upwards. Cool, I can buy that, but it's sad that it made no inclusion in the toy. You know, what's the point of this drop-down cockpit if you don't eject downwards? I don't know, it's hard to get my head around it, I must say. Yeah, I can I, I can see where you're coming from, but in a, a, on a positive spin, if that was a removable plate, for example, how many of us would have to buy ravens and then still have to find the upper canopy, buy that separately. I guess where I'm going with this is I really wish it had a more conventional cockpit canopy that opened. The hinge probably would have hurt the lines a bit, but I'm not sold on the drop-down aspect. Yeah, well, I had a bit of a bad run-in with mine, so I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, it's a sore point in terms of um, its fragility as well. I mean, when I got mine, what happened is I got the Raven and a stunning aircraft, but that cockpit part was actually taped in. It was taped onto uh, in the or it was taped into the canopy. So when I removed the tape, it sort of like fell out, and it looked like the mechanism wasn't put in properly. And then on the closer inspection, somebody had actually uh, tried to heat weld a part of it back together and then try to glue the orange part of it to the underside of the yeah of the cockpit itself. So I had to actually go and buy three new parts, namely the, the rail system that it uses to drop down and then the little sort of cup uh, that you put the orange part in. And then I also had to buy a rear thruster because it was also sort of like pressed in. So I had, like my Night Raven was, was a very, very cool experience when I first got it. I mean, it felt old. It was It's heavy. It's a heavy toy. Really, it's something to behold if you haven't ever actually held one in your hands. It's a very, very big toy. It definitely feels old school. But yeah, I had to do a lot of fixing up on it. And it's my first and only G.I. Joe vehicle I've had to do repair work on, where I've actually had to go out and buy parts from a, a separate dealer. But no, now she's complete and she's she's ready to fly. And she could do with some more stickers. She definitely does have a creakiness to her, particularly the Night Raven, but other G.I. Joe jets as well, like the Phantom X-19. There's a bit of a creakiness because of the the way that the upper and, and lower halves of the jet fuselage fit together. So, yeah, she's definitely an old bird, but a beautiful one at that. The black coloring just is unsurpassed. Yeah. The first version of this mold that I got was, in fact, a Sky Raven, and that was my first G.I. Joe jet. This was astounding to me. It seemed like another toy line altogether. My previous experiences were like, as I say, the Hammerhead and the Wolf and smaller vehicles that, well, I'll mention a few names, like the Pulverizer, Darklons Evader, Tiger Force vehicles like the Tiger Paw, Tiger Sting. You see where I'm going. Nothing had the same grandeur that these jets had. It's as if all the design and creative effort really switched on for that. While everything else had these hokey other aspects to them, the jets were really mechanically sound. Yeah. The fact that they had working landing gear, I suppose, yes. is what really sold it. You needed to look sleek, perfect, and have this mechanism that worked, and worked really well, and stood up to child's play. In the Sky Raven, they actually improved the mechanism somewhat by giving it a bit of a notch. As you slide the tab forward, it kind of clipped behind a notch and locked in place. 
So you wouldn't have a case of the landing gear caving in and the thing doing a belly flop, which you do tend to have on a night raven if your landing gear is particularly well greased. Yeah, it like sort of just slips out, you know, you, you're banking and then landing gear... I'm thinking the other way around. You're like landing and then... <laughs> <laughs> landing gear retract. Yeah, don't worry, that happens, but I believe that there's a pulse to that. Oh, wait, <laughs> wrong show. What are your thoughts on the drone? Okay, like just to summarize, I mean, the things that I don't love too much about the Raven are the rear-facing cannon, which I think is, is unnecessary and superfluous. I'd much rather have a... A, a recess where you can imagine a Gatling gun to be hidden. I do not like the drop-down cockpit, though I appreciate the uniqueness of it. Ingenuity behind it, yeah. And, to be perfectly honest, I'm not a fan of the nacelles being squared off. I would have preferred a rounder engine nacelle, but that's just from a design point of view, I mean, or an aerodynamic point of view, I should say. Yeah. Having this flat-faced intake doesn't make as much sense as maybe having a rounded or recessed intake. But those my those are my three gripes. What do you guys think of the drone? Well, as on the blueprints, it's, it's a recon jet, and yeah, I don't appreciate it at all. It just seems silly. Like, how does it go that fast with this thing attached to it? It just doesn't make sense. And then, how does it reattach afterwards? I mean, that's got to be like a huge operation going on there. They got to like sync up, and how this thing can't have that much. No, I hate it. I don't like it at all. Oh, goody, so I have a counter-argument. What happened when I got my Night Raven, as Steve and I would often quiz each other about cool ideas for dogfights uh, and things like Night Raven versus Sky Striker, uh, Night Raven versus Condor, that kind of stuff. So I, I did a little bit of research into the actual SR-71, into the Blackbird, and um, watched some YouTube clips uh, here and there, read some stuff on Wiki, read some stuff on guys that are big uh, aviation nuts, and it turns out that there actually was a real-world version of that drone on the SR-71. The drone was called the D-21. There we go. Thank you. Wiki, and that, that, kids. And that drone really existed, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really awesome. This means that early on, when with the designers here, they were obviously trying to firstly replicate the Blackbird. I mean, it's called the Night Raven, you know? Night Raven, Blackbird, come now. The profile is very similar. The design and the specs, uh, what the, you know, it, its main role as an aircraft are very similar. And the drone, which when I used to see it in the cartoon and everything, I used to think was completely like preposterous. And then I saw it existed in real life. And then also, uh, to further add to its coolness, if you play Metal Gear Solid 3, uh, Snake gets dropped into, into Russia with one of those drones. He uh, he's flown in on the back of an SR-71 in one of those drones. The plane, uh, uh, Steve will know the correct terminology. It turns it turns over, it goes belly up, and it drops that drone in. Inverts. Yeah, it inverts, and uh, they deploy the drone, and the drone um, realigns itself, goes in really, really, really fast, and then it sort of like throws on a whole bunch of parachutes, and then it ejects the pilots, and then the wreckage is left there, and yeah, you go in. It's not meant to be recovered, because the parts disintegrate, uh, will eventually burn out, and they made out of some kind of material that they mention in the game as well. So that just made it even cooler. So the drone, although it's something in the beginning, I thought it was a little bit like Naf. I thought it was very cute that it was in the cartoon after a bit of research, and also meeting up with another favorite pop culture icon of mine, which happens to be Solid Snake from Metal Gear. It, it's sealed now. I, I love the drone. Well, if that was the application they intended for it, yes, I'd agree that's awesome. I mean, I love Metal Gear, I love Snake, and that is a cool application of it, but it has guns on it. Fly away and come back. Um, in the, its original intention, I don't like it, but the way that you just explained it, yeah, it is awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, 
from its, in, a, in its original int- uh, intentions, yes. When you see it on the cartoons, it's very hokey. But I suppose that's one of the qualities of G.I. Joe. That's a, that's a side of G.I. Joe that exists. I, I don't think, I don't think we ever see the drone in the comic book, Steve? Uh, in my not so limited, but still limited experience of the Marvel run, I don't recall seeing it. I do know that Devil's Due included it in their Transformers crossover. Oh yeah? They had Cobra Commander riding on top of Starscream. Now, Starscream transformed into a Night Raven, Ooh. and Cobra Commander was inside the drone. I know, like, let's make the Night Raven even cooler. wonder how we're going to do that. Oh, I know. Let's make it Starscream. Yeah. <laughs> so, before Starscream transforms, Cobra Commander detaches his drone, flies to safety, and Starscream transforms and uh, raises hell. Very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, yeah definitely. Nice definitely. application there. Yeah, more than meets the eye. Yeah. Totally. Now, if Solid Snake made this uh, entry into Russia via D-21 drone, it must have been ultra hush-hush, because the D-21 was quite famous for being a complete failure. Uh, yeah. I mean, we are talking about, I suppose it was in the 60s and 70s, so there were obvious glitches in the system, but its purpose was to be released by an SR-71 high, at high altitudes, flock yeah. into enemy territory, take yeah. photographs, and then do a 180, come back, and then, as its engines cut out, it would parachute into friendly territory and be recovered. Wow. Well, on its, I think, its first operational uh, flight, its first actual mission into enemy territory, it just didn't turn back. It just kept bombing straight past the target, took the wow. photographs, and then just kept going. Uh, the parachutes obviously didn't deploy. It got out of radio range, and, and it just went crashing into China, I think. I don't know. I think China managed to, to find the wreckage of at least one of these things, and they managed to turn it over, and it's now sitting in a museum. But every single one of them was lost somehow. Either the controls didn't respond, it didn't come back, or it crash-landed without its chute deploying. Basically, yeah, good idea, but the tech just wasn't in place at the time. Nowadays, drones, another story. Those things are ruling the skies. Predators, yeah. Forgetting that this isn't really a drone, though. It's, it's a capsule. Yes, the fact that it has someone in it is... Riding the jet engine at the back, it's great. It's pretty hot back there, I'm sure. But it becomes something more of a of an insertion device. Yeah. Just like Solid Snake uh, used it. I mean, to get into somewhere where you would otherwise be shot down immediately. To get into one of these little babies... The chances of anyone picking you up or even being able to see you or hear you is slim to none. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty sound way of making an insertion into hostile territory. I, I use it a lot for that for myself. Just extremely expensive, <laughs> I wanted to add. I mean, to do that, wow. If you had to sacrifice one of these every time you wanted to send someone into the field, well, they've got to be pretty important and have a pretty worthy mission. Yeah, I think he did. He was going to save the world from, like, nuclear war. Just to add to the legend uh, of the Night Raven itself, it is such a cool jet that even G.I. Joe eventually starts using it, <laughs> you know, as the Sky Raven. Um, I've been watching the Deke series recently, and there's a lot of Sky Raven action in that series. And, I mean, that's how cool it is that G.I. Joe decided that they wanted them too. I don't know. To my mind, I, I'm in disagreement with G.I. Joe mass-producing a Cobra vehicle. Sure, you can steal one. You can repaint it in G.I. Joe colors and give it test runs to find out its secrets. 
But to say that you've then got an entire fleet of these redesigned Cobra jets kind of steals something from, from its mystique, and I do not like that. I'm not a fan. Well, in the Deke series, um, just to point out, and I'd like you to have a look at it when you get the chance, but the, the Sky Raven, the artwork is uh, different, hey, to the actual Night Raven. There's a few things here and there that they, they changed uh, on its design. Maybe it's also just because it's in the show. It's obviously silver, um, so you can see a lot more of the lines on it. But yeah, it's it's quite it's quite different visually. Does it have red trim on top? I don't recall right now. I need to check the show again. I imagine it's a bit too detailed for an animated series for them to include that. But the Sky Raven had this red detailing that the SR seventy one had, but it yes. just shows up a lot easier on a silver fuselage than it would on a black fuselage. I think maybe that's what you're talking about. Also, yes. The underside on the Sky Raven is black. So yes. So you've got this very stark contrast between black and like silver. silver. Chrome. <laughs> a little bit more muted on the Night Raven, which has this kind of... Grey colour. Yeah. Also, um, on my Night Raven as well, I've got the old one, so I've still got the straight um, shaft for the, the landing gear. Which is pretty cool. I'm very happy that I got a vintage Night Raven, if you know what I mean. Because there are re-releases where it's got the notch before they released it as a Sky Raven. Wow. Yeah, I did some research. In fact, even on eBay, you can buy a lot of the... Um, you can actually buy Ravens with that, that notch, and the actual mechanism inside is different. So when you're searching for one, because I was looking for one just in case mine was broken, uh, it's actually slightly different. Being in possession of a Sky Raven, I can see the benefit of that. And to be honest, I think... You know, I know you have certain inclinations towards having the first release, but it was an improvement for a reason. No, agreed. Unlike the Phantom X-19's improvement, which I don't think is such an improvement. I mean, it, it, it assists the release of the landing gear, but it hurts the lines a bit. But anyway, Paul, we can bitch about whose Phantom is better at another stage. No, of course. The Phantom, I'm looking forward to chatting about that yet, because that's, that's really awesome. I think we've killed it, boys. Anyone want to add anything to our top fives? Yeah, I mean, we even mentioned my notable mentions, which was the Hiss 2, the Wolf, and the Hammerhead, so... Woohoo! Done. If you would like to comment on what you've heard, drop us a line either on gijoburg.podbean.com That's G-I-J-O-B-U-R-G dot podbean.com or a real South African hero.blogspot.com. That's a real South African hero with no spaces.blogspot.com. Don't hate on snow jobs. Snow jobs awesome. Ah, yeah. Whenever I get a snow job, it's awesome. <laughs> Cobra Raven, Cobra Raven. There's no haven from the Cobra Raven. Now you know, and it's on the lookout for G.I. Joe!